everybody. Welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host Morgan and my co-host Chris. Well, today we're experimenting with recording from the car. I am holding the microphone and kind of pointing it back and forth as we're going around. We're going to this is an experiment. We have had a rough week. A really rough week. So I submitted a chapter of my dissertation this week, which involved four all-nighters within a week and a half period. Congratulations on getting that chapter in. Um, also, we had a pandemic-adjacent family emergency. Yep, yep. We also are at the point in planning for activity pub conference which is happening in less than a month at this point where we had some uh conference planning agenda items to do this week yeah so maybe not everybody knows but activity pub is a standard i worked on and so i have some amount of involvement there and then morgan has even more involvement because i am the conference coordinator well i'm a co-coordinator with sebastian last Yes, yes. So we are very busy at the moment, basically. And uh, and on top of that, I've also been doing a lot of stuff on Sprightly. Um, got a major demo out today, so that was really exciting. And Oh, you have another conference paper that you're working on, too. Oh, oh right, 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 right. So I, at, I'm, I'm also presenting at ActivityPub Conference. I'm running no, the... So, so I'm... Well, no, both. So I'm presenting at ActivityPub Conference. Oh, I'm so running... Yeah, so, so is Morgan. So on top of that, we're both presenting at ActivityPub Conference. I'm running a panel with the other co-authors and co-editors of ActivityPub. We'll all be moderating and not talking as much, hopefully, so that you can hear from everybody else, because I think people hear from me more often. And then, uh, and then also, I'm running a talk about Sprightly and how it relates to ActivityPub and kind of the progress that's been made. And, and you're, you're giving a talk on... How to plan a conference remotely in the pandemic times using free software tools. Right, right. So uh, that should be fun. And then at RacketCon, uh, about the Racket programming language, I'm also giving a talk about Sprightly. And so this week is just going to be very consumed by all of that as we're, we're getting ready for it and preparing talks and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, but I, I, I hit an, a major milestone in Sprightly. And, well, I guess we were, we were thinking maybe that would actually be a good topic for this week. I mean, we have another couple of episodes recorded. Primarily, we've got another couple of Foss and Craft Theater episodes recorded. But we decided that since we just ran the first two Foss and Crafts Theater, we kind of wanted to space them out so that it didn't just become a show about us playing RPGs. Yeah, so I the the upcoming episodes, I don't want to give spoilers, but they're very relevant to a lot of the themes of this show. But um, despite being RPGs in, in more than just a free culture way, but, but that would be too spoilery to get into it. But anyway, we're very excited about them. But yeah, we wanted to do another kind of more uh, free software-y, free culture-y type episode, but we also don't have time. So that's why we're experimenting with this recording from the car thing. And, you know, on oh, our way to the bank. Yes, on our way to the bank, um, which due to things is quite a long way from where we are because we've moved on around a lot. But that's not interesting to our listeners of the show. So uh, um, what what is interesting to the listeners of the show? So, Chris, 
What is Sprightly? Well, maybe we should back up and talk about what Activity Pub is. Would that make sense? Oh, yeah. So what is Activity Pub? We just talked about a whole conference based around it. Right. Okay. So Activity Pub is a decentralized social networking protocol, and it's one that I've worked on. Wait, what's a protocol? Oh, yeah, I guess. So if, you, if you're having multiple computer programs talk to each other, um, they have to know how to talk to each other. So every time you open your browser and you go to some website, you have to load protocols like HTTP. Um, the page renders with HTML and CSS and stuff like that. Um, so protocols define a way so that two computers can understand and mean the same thing when they run their programs, basically. So what ActivityPub is, is it's a protocol about building decentralized social networks. So the idea is kind of like um, anybody can run their own email server. So why can't anyone run their own Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or etc.? So ActivityPub is a standard basically about that and about, um, well, there are a bunch of kids biking towards us and swerving. On a highway. Yeah, biking on a highway. Uh, um, I mean, it's kind of like a rural-ish highway. We are well past them now, though. Forewarning, this is going to be an all-over-the-place episode because we are talking while driving, and this is way more unscripted than usual. But anyway, um, ActivityPub is the protocol for doing exactly what we're talking about, of being able to run your own decentralized social network server. So after the ActivityPub standardization process is when I started on Sprightly, and I guess that brings us back to the original question. What is Sprightly? Right, okay. So Sprightly is trying to take the federated social network as we've learned and experienced it and trying to kind of level it up, uh, trying to do more complicated, more interesting things than we're currently capable of doing. So by that, I mean things like richer interactions, like all the way up to we should be able to do 3D virtual worlds if we want to. We should be able to do um, we should be able to do financial exchange. We should be able to do, uh, I guess, social networks. Right. Yes. Social networks. Well, and in an activity pub currently, activity pub was released with several holes in the spec. And one of them was about how authentication and authorization work. So the current federated social web has kind of filled it in with what people are familiar with. I have some strong opinions about why that's not necessarily what's great. And in a standards compatible way, we can do really other interesting things. So I guess uh, Sprightly is kind of a laboratory for figuring out, doing the research and implementing and proving how to do these kinds of interesting things we currently can't do on the federated social web. Uh, where, oh, by the way, federated social web means decentralized social web, just in case you didn't know that. So out of all of the potential things that you, Chris Weber, with your vast history of projects, why are you doing this particular thing? What do you mean this particular thing in which way? Why Sprightly? Well, Oh, oh, right. So I, I said distributed virtual worlds, and that probably sounds weird. Like, that seems unrelated, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the reason for distributed virtual worlds, which uh, does make people raise an eyebrow, uh, it actually made me nearly not get a grant because they were like, everything sounded great in this grant, aside from the distributed virtual worlds thing. Um, but there is a reason for aiming for that. Basically, if you can build something that's robust enough to be able to build distributed games, it's robust enough to do anything. 
Because if you think about it in a certain sense, uh, if you look at like massively multiplayer online RPGs and stuff like that, social networks are basically degenerate versions of those. Um, you can, in a social network, you can post things and chat with people and stuff like that, but you can do that in games too, but you could also like hand somebody a drink. They can drink it and get dizzy. You can, you know, fight monsters. You can have a sense of place. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you need to do in order to be able to get that stuff to work. You need to have a really smart protocol in order to be able to do that. Right now, the way that people currently write social network programs if you're building something on top of Rails or Django, I almost guarantee you uh, that alone will not give you the right paradigms to be able to build something robust enough for that. But if you can build something that's capable of building something robust enough for that, even if we don't actually deploy a game, it benefits games. So a lot of interesting technology such as uh, Flickr, was originally designed to be a game. Uh, Twisted in Python, which massively influenced the extremely popular Node.js system, uh, that was originally designed for a to build a, a game. Um, a lot of the decentralized digital money stuff grew out of ideas from games. And the technology that I'm looking into that has object capability security also actually grew out of a game called Electric Communities, but that but maybe I'm getting way too far ahead of myself. Okay, so you just rambled a lot. Why uh, should I care? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so what I should really say is, like, what what could we give you if all this succeeds? Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about some current things you can't do on the Fediverse. Right now, if you're on a server, a lot of people, when they're signing up for a server, they hit a lot of anxiety because of which server should I sign up for, right? And, and that's basically because you don't know if a server is going to stay up or not, right? Like, I'm sure for you, you just went on the same server that I did. But, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but like, otherwise, also, like, there's a lot of anxiety. Like, oh, if I, if I sign up for the server, are, are the admins going to actually stay around? And, I mean, I have no guarantee of that, although I'm on Octodon.Social and Alice it, Voidstar is a great admin. Uh, shout out to Alice. We, we appreciate you a lot, um, the, but we don't actually have a lot of strong guarantees that such things will be up. And in fact, there has been some major sites such as uh, um, witches.town had, was one of the biggest sites on the Fediverse, and uh, the admin famously got into conflict with her uh, users, and she just shut the whole thing down. And that was thousands and thousands of people who just basically got disconnected from all their friends who didn't know how to connect to them again. They created a lot of chaos. And so that's something we don't want to have. Like, you want to be able to make sure that no matter where you sign up, you're going to be able to be around even if the, the, per the place where you signed up goes down. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So how does Sprightly solve that problem? In order to be able to do that, what we need is either some sort of decentralized identity or decentralized storage type system. So that was one of the first things that I did in Sprightly is I built a decentralized storage system called Megank and then also Crystal were these two components that you had one that like was uh, immutable. You made it and it could stick around forever. That was a Megank one and then Crystal, which could be updated. Uh, the, the current work on that is spun out of uh, Sprightly into the Data Shards project, but the ideas are pretty much taken from the Data Shards project which took its ideas from Tahoe LAFS and Freenet and some other things. Wait, to clarify, 
the Data Shards project came out of Sprightly. You're not taking things from the Data Shards project for Sprightly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, that direction. Yeah, so the, we Sprightly demonstrated how to build these things, and then we spun it out yeah, as a separate project. Yes. Okay, so um, imagine you made posts. They were decentralized but encrypted so that the intended people could read them you could spread out all the pieces of them across the network, but only the intended people could read them. And that means that if a server goes down, you have a name that's the name of that post that survives even if the server goes down. And if we make something like that that's your profile that you can update, um, and your name, instead of it being some HTTP colon blah 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 based thing, is instead some sort of name that can be hosted on any server, but again, where only the people who have been given access are able to read it, um, then that means that in ActivityPub, you can point that at the inbox, basically the mailbox. You can say, here's me, and here's how to ship mail to me, basically. That's how ActivityPub works. So uh, you can just change where that points. So if you know your server goes down, uh, you can just point it to a new server and and uh, publish that out and kind of propagate it through the network. So does that part make sense? Why distributed server storage solves that even if servers go down? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. So another another reason you might care is uh, um, you might want to be able to, is we might want to have richer interactions. So I mentioned, you know, so, so for example, if you and your friends uh, are, you know, let's say we're running an activity pub conference, maybe you and I want to create a gallery that a bunch of people can view, but we want to risk control who can edit it or add pictures to it. Does that sound pretty realistic? That sounds like something that might have come up in a meeting about ActivityPub conference this weekend. It, it, it did come up. And so in ActivityPub, since we actually didn't specify what the authorization mechanisms is, doing something like this is really hard. And you kind of just guess who has the rights to update things, which is the worst based off of the messages that are coming in. Um, what we could do instead is, what Sprightly is doing is using a concept called object capabilities, which are a security mechanism, which is a big topic of its own. But the idea being that um, it's you're able to hand out access to people, basically. So we could hand out admin privileges to people, and maybe we could hand out admin privileges that we can take away if somebody, you know, behaves poorly or something like that. Um, so that sounds like mildly interesting because like almost every system has stuff where you can do that kind of moderation. So that's kind of mildly interesting. What's more interesting is uh, stuff like the distributed game stuff, right? Like if you've got a room full of a bunch of different entities and some of them are allowed to, you know, mute certain people at certain times, but some of them are also able to um, you know, make new characters that are walking around. Uh, I have access to control the sword and attack somebody with it, but you don't, right? Stuff like that. Um, you need some sort of way of being able to hand out permissions to all of those objects. And the traditional access control list mechanism is, first of all, very insecure, and that's documented, but also it's really hard to build these systems, like brain-breakingly hard to build something like this that scales in an access control list system. So that's where object capabilities help. Does that does that help answer at all, like the rich the rich interactions type thing? Yes, thank you. So if Sprightly is meta, then what are the different components that make that up? 
Okay, so we've, we've talked about two of them. We've talked about the storage component, and we've talked about the um, object capability stuff, but we didn't discuss really what, what that was and how it works. That, there's multiple layers to, to Sprightly. We've got the storage stuff, which is like the data shardsy, mega, and crystal stuff. But then we also need a way for like these live running systems with pieces that talk to each other. Um, so what, uh, wow, there's a bouncy castle out here in the pandemic. Who's hosting a bouncy castle party? That seems ex incredibly inappropriate. Well, maybe they've got their own kids and it's just their kids. It, 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 it could be. I do not believe it is possible to have a, uh, a group uh, bouncy castle socially distant party, though. That, that... That's true. Also, if you're a kid and someone on your block has a bouncy castle but won't let you play in it, that would be so tragic. Oh, that would be very difficult. Yes. Okay. So anyway, uh, jumping back to the topic at hand. Uh, so what there's a layer in Sprightly called Goblins. And what Goblins does is it builds off of powerful ideas that I've mined from the... Uh, more obscure parts of the world. Um, there is a, a company called Agoric, who the people working there I have borrowed many ideas from. Um, but uh, uh, and credited. And, and credited, yeah. So um, Mark Miller, uh, Dean Tribble, Kate Sills, uh, all great people doing great work. And, uh, uh, you know, Brian Warner, everybody there is doing great work. And I'm, I'm borrowing ideas all over the place from people who exist. And I'm trying to document that. But... Um, Goblins is a distributed programming environment. Um, and actually, it's kind of two things. There's a distributed programming environment, and maybe the other one's easier to explain when we talk about the demos we've done. But what's interesting about it is that when you write programs in Goblins, they are distributed programs where it's safe to run them over the network, where you can write code as if it's just normal code, and Goblins just abstracts away the network protocol for you. So, for example, the reason why I'm so excited today is I wrote a chat program that I released. And I wrote it a couple weeks ago as a little demo of just this tiny chat program where the back end, the theoretical protocol of it, was only written in 250 lines of code. And then the GUI was also only written in about 300 lines of code, which is very small, despite the fact that it did some amount of authentication of messages and stuff like that. Um, but uh, without changing any of that code, I got two different uh, computers talking to each other over Tor Onion services um, today, which is a peer-to-peer -peer protocol. What's really cool is that that program was written to be local only. And with no extra work to the chat program, I was able to make it distributed just by hooking together the two computers using the CAPTP stuff that's been written, uh, which is borrowed from this long history of things called E and etc. And if you look at the demos that are linked in the show notes, you can see Chris having conversations with themselves um, over this chat program. <laughs> yes. It's kind of adorable. Yes. Um, but anyway, the really exciting thing is that you can... Imagine it's very hard to think about building a protocol that's one-off for having a bunch of different... Um, if you wanted to build some sort of game world, you'd have to build in new protocol components for every new game feature you want to build. But in Goblins, you actually can use the same... It's just like writing... It's just like scripting a game, even a single-player game, 
in many ways that gets distributed across the systems. So you can build new features and not think too much about how they're distributed. So that's one of the really cool things. Um, and yeah, I've I just rambled a lot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it back over to you. What what what's next? Well, the next question on the index card taped to my steering wheel is what works now? And I think you've already covered a lot of that, um, which is data shards and goblins and the demos. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that other than the things we've already covered? Uh, well, okay. So yes, the store. So basically the layers are, we've got a storage system. We've got a live programming system. What we want to have is a layer that maps that onto ActivityPub then so that we can talk to the existing network. Now, people who are not writing things in as cool as goblins might not be able to build virtual worlds, but they can at least talk to the people who are running cool things written in Sprightly and goblins. So they can at least participate in that kind of way. Um, are you code-shaming people? Uh, I am code-shaming uh, not the people writing Federated Social Networks, but the way that we currently write web applications, which I think is... Uh, I'm not going to say it's terrible, but it's so not... I'm going to say it's terrible, but it's terrible. It's not terrible. It's just that there's such a better world out there that we could have if we embrace this. And that's what I think... Open your minds, people. Open your minds. So, um, so, so yeah, so we've got, we've got that. Uh, so we, sorry, no, we want that to be able to map it over to the activity pub world. We also want the ability to, right now... You can talk over the network in a, what we call a mutually suspicious way. You don't have to trust the server you're talking to. So there are systems like Erlang where you can write distributed programs, but you have to trust all the other computers you're talking to, all the other servers. In Goblins, you don't have to trust all the other servers in order to be able to talk with them. You can hand out the amount of things you trust about them. Um, and then, so what we would like to do though, is if I have this game and you've written, uh, this really cool, like fire elemental or something like that, like, sounds like something I would write. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I should be able to write your, run your fire elemental. Like if I can't run your fire elemental code without being afraid of it poning my system, then there's something wrong. So, um, we need a way to be able to safely run untrusted code. Uh, and that's that's what I'm currently calling uh, Sprightly Dungeon because you can lock stuff up in rooms. Ha ha ha. But maybe there's a better name than that. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, we, we, we need to add that layer. I know how it works. It just needs to be written. What's, what's surprising is there's not that much work that needs to be done to add the distributed financial system. That's actually really easy to write. And then you can make your own play currency for your game world. You can use it for stamps, which you may have heard me talk about it in some other contexts, uh, to be able to... That's a, that's a big separate topic. You, you can use it for all sorts of things. You can basically create your own currencies one-off with no blockchains. No blockchains required. None of this stuff requires blockchains. If you look at Agoric stuff, they are hooking into blockchains because that's like where their business is. We theoretically could hook the Sprightly Goblin stuff into blockchains, but it's not required. Uh, the stuff that I'm talking about works closer to the way that federated social networks work um, in that uh, you, you just have a lot of different kind of running computers talking to each other instead of this big database that everybody shares. Um, 
So, uh, so there's there's that. Um, we also need to have a. Hmm. What else is there? Uh, I guess. Well, I mean, we need to actually build the social network in the distributed social world. So, I mean, I obviously showed up. I mentioned the chat room. That's kind of like a very proto demo that this type of stuff is possible without actually being a really full-fledged social network that's interesting enough to use. So those are some of the things we need to build. Um, there are other things that are interesting, but probably not quite interesting enough. And each one of the layers I've talked about, both the storage layer and the distributed objects, live programming layer, uh, both of those exist, but a lot more work needs to be done on it to make it as nice as we want it, even though it's provably functional. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that that actually leads nicely into the next question, which is why a demo-based approach? Because there's a lot of things that exist only in your head, right? Yeah. So when I announced the Sprightly project, um, I think it was in an interview with Sean Tilly, who's kind of the premier uh, journalist of the Fediverse, I guess. Uh, shout out to Sean Tilly. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and that's where I actually announced it in that post. And I said, well, I'm, uh, planning this project called Sprightly, uh, you know, now that activity pub standardization is completed, but right now, you know, the best way you can describe Sprightly is it's vaporware. And the reason I said that, and this was about mm, close to two years ago, is I don't like promising things too much that don't exist. Um, and I also don't believe that people can understand things if you just talk at them. So, I mean, I, I realize the irony of that with me talking into this microphone and not us being people who run a podcast. But when but when the people really learn by doing is something I believe and learn by seeing, like seeing is believing and experiencing is believing. So experiencing is important. So one of the demos I did was something called Terminal Phase, which was like a, I, I guess it's a space shooter type thing with ASCII art. Um, and so on. It basically looks like a space shooter that you run in your terminal, like your like a developer terminal. Um, With entirely ASCII art. Yes, I am a big fan of ASCII art, and it, you know it, that's hence the pun terminal phase, which uh, um, I think Lars Lars Linus, I forget the name of the person, gave me that name. Uh, anyway, the um, the terminal phase is. Uh, what I think really grabbed people's attention. So that was showing off the non-distributed programming part of Sprightly Goblins. People are like, okay, cool. Like you just spent a lot of work building this game, but it doesn't really tell me that Goblins is cool. At least not at first. It was useful for me because that the first part of building a demo is it allows me to stress test the thing and see if the concepts actually work in practice. So when I'm building a demo, very frequently, I will actually be changing a lot of the things about the system as I write the demo, as I come to actually have real-world experience understanding and experimenting with things. And that means that when I come to the point of handing things to users, I already know that the API is something that I've been reasonably happy with, which means it's less likely to change around a bit. And I've also understood what works well and what doesn't. So that's the first reason. When people finally started to get excited about Sprightly and about Sprightly Goblins in particular, again, the distributed transactional programming system, was when I released a new screenshot and blog post that showed off time travel. So the time travel feature was you were playing the game and then you could press a button 
and it would let you move backwards and forwards in time from when you were playing. So if you crash into a thing, you will see this in the GIF, you're, you crash into this enemy and your ship explodes. And when you hit the T button, it opens a time travel ba- dialogue and you just move back in time to when you weren't, hadn't crashed yet. Now, people are used to this idea in about two places. They're used to it in emulators, like on Super Nintendo and Nintendo emulators. They're used to the idea that, oh, well, sure, if you're emulating a whole other machine, then then I guess that thing's so simple that we know how to be able to get back to it. We can just save the state of basically the whole virtual machine and you can get back there. So that's that's one way that, that people are used to that. But this was, you know, reasonably performant, running on a... Um, and it wasn't an emulator. It was the primary programming paradigm. So people were like, whoa, are you doing like functional reactive programming? Are you doing blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, nope, none of those things. I'm just following some classic, and I'm getting a little bit computer science-y. I'm following the classic actor model concept of become, of having basically every entity in the game is specifying what they want to do. And so I can snapshot the whole world at any time, that just falls out of the system for free. I wrote the whole game of Terminal Phase without trusting anything or even thinking about the time travel. Then at the end, I realized, oh, the game supports time travel. And I just added a UI that exposed it. But it was already there. Just kind of like how the the chat program was a distributed chat program without having to add anything to it. You got the time travel for free. Yeah, And that was what was really cool, I think. Um, So that... When people see something like that, they get excited and they're like, oh, okay, now it's not just Chris Webber saying a bunch of bullshit. It's like, I can see that Chris Webber did something, right? So this might be real, right? And I don't believe that people are going to think that something is real until they try it. So similarly, there are some other wonderful things about goblins. Like, for example, it's transactional in that if something messes up, it can automatically rewind and then inform all the other participants that something bad happened without actually having any corrupt state and stuff like that, um, which is really cool and comes for free out of its design. Um, so there, there are a lot of wonderful, nice things about that in Goblins. Uh, again, a lot of these ideas are taken from, very few of them are original. I've just combined them in, in semi-original ways. Similarly, when we I released the Golem demo, which actually showed off part of what I talked about earlier, which was, you know, you have two servers um, on the Fediverse, and they use this distributed storage system, and if one of them goes down, the other one can still refer to the messages and to the user and stuff like that, um, even if the other server goes down. So again, I think that seeding is believing, and it also helps us congeal ideas, because otherwise I'll, sometimes it's just blowing a lot of hot smoke, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you've also had some experience in the past where uh, this demo-based approach might have been useful because you started off with a plan and then things really went in a different direction than you planned, right? Yes. So so, so which, which versions are you thinking about specifically here? Right now I'm particularly thinking about how you got started working on ActivityPub and the social working group in the first place. Right. So the social working group being the, the World Wide Web Consortium standards body that formally defined and got ratified the ActivityPub standard. Um, so you're right in a certain sense. So I was pre, prior to working on ActivityPub, I was working on a social network program called Media Goblin that was meant to be like a distributed YouTube slash Flickr slash et cetera thing. So I didn't actually know how any of that would work. 
I just knew that I wanted to do it. Um, and I knew that people that I were a fan of did some things like that. And so, uh, the plant, but then we eventually hit the point where we needed to actually add that functionality of the distributed blah, blah, blah. And when we hit that point was when we hired Jessica Talon through Outreachy, uh, formerly known as Outreach Program for Women, and first brought her on uh, as an intern there, and then we actually hired her. She was implementing the Federation stuff for Media Goblin, and the Federation stuff for Media Goblin, as we were going through it, um, there became the opportunity to, with the API we were implementing, the Pump.io API, to actually formally, Evan Perdromo, the author of that, um, and Aaron Shepard, one of the, the person who initially wrote it as a, a standards draft, basically between the two of them, they, they more or less opened up the process to allow uh, ActivityPub to be formally standardized. And, and Jessica and I said, hey, wait, 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 we need to get it, like we need to be involved in this, like we're going to implement this, we need to be involved in it. And Chris thinks, oh, it's just going to be like an hour-long meeting once a week, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I actually said to Jessica. Um, and then it ended up consuming very stressfully, uh, as Morgan can attest. Uh, Multiple years of Chris's life. Yeah, about three years of my life. It ended up consuming those. And that was not expected. Um, and actually, it's still a source of embarrassment for me that at the end of the Activity Pub standardization effort, what I had originally anticipated was I was going to return to Media Goblin. But... Um, Something happened where ActivityPub ended up becoming successful enough, um, standards-wise, largely because of Mastodon's adoption, that a bunch of projects started picking it up. So we had Pleroma, we had PeerTube, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, um, PixelFed and FunkWhale. And, and PeerTube, PixelFed, and FunkWhale were doing the video hosting, image hosting, and audio hosting stuff that we were trying to do in Media Goblin, respectively, on top of ActivityPub, except they actually got the stuff built with a standard that we wanted to be involved in before we did, right? Like, we, but, we took a hiatus for three years to do that. Yeah, but you take a, taking a hiatus in order to work on the standard made it so that other people could pick up the work that you were originally planning on doing. Right, so that 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 is how I think things tie in, and a nice story is so, so the, the end of that is actually, so this is part of the story of Sprightly, is that I, at the end of it, I then hit a debate because I, I learned a lot over the course of those years. And I was like, here are the things that ActivityPub can't do, though, currently. And also, I now know a lot more from an engineering perspective where I might not have built Media Goblin this way, the same way. So what, what should I do now? And uh, I had a big debate. I actually called a number of my friends and had calls with them where I was like, is it Here's what I want to do. Here's what I think is really important. The thing that was really successful that I did was not actually the application I built. It was the protocol that was adopted by all these other applications. Now, the thing that I thought that I was going to do wasn't the thing that was really successful. I could return to that, but other people have already kind of done that. But here's what the Fediverse can't do. And that is what currently actually I think is more important for me to work on. And so it's in, this is part of the reason why I say Sprightly is a laboratory. It's entirely possible that at the end of Sprightly, the equivalent thing will happen. Other projects will pick up the ideas that Sprightly is promoting. And I say promoting because Sprightly's kind of 
curating and developing some new things, but is largely curating existing ideas that solve the problems that the Fediverse can't currently do. And it could be that somebody else figures out how to implement this and doesn't use any of our code, but uses the ideas. And if that happens, I'll say that's a big success. Because Activity Hub has reached millions of users, and Media Goblin did not. It still could. Like, it has a new maintainer. Um, there's still some people active in that community, but not as many. Do you want to give a shout-out to that maintainer? So yes. been giving shout-outs anyways. Yes, Ben Sturmfels, thank you for taking over the Media Goblin project. We appreciate you. We love you. You are great. Yes. Um, so what's really important to me is that these ideas succeed and they get driven forward. I guess one of the other things I didn't say about the Sprightly project is it tries to be more peer-to-peer. That's part of the Tor Onion Services thing, is that we're not as reliant on, you know, and you can see this spreading across um, all layers of Sprightly. We're not as reliant on somebody keeping your stuff alive. You can always figure out how to control your own destiny is really what, what really matters. Um, so does that make sense? I, I, I know every question you ask, I end up giving like a 20-minute response. That's uh, okay. I'm driving. <laughs> uh, so what's left? Can you can you see anymore? Uh, yes. Why choose Racket instead of a programming language that has a larger user base? <laughs> right. So Media Goblin was in Python, which like has a lot more users. Um, Racket is kind of more known as like a programming language author's programming language. Like that's its main user base. So you and I think it's usable for more other things, right? Like very briefly, you can say what you're doing with it. Uh, I am writing my dissertation using Scribble, which is the markup language inside Dr. Racket. Writing my dissertation in Scribble allows me to basically write some programs into my dissertation to automate things like my images and my citations and things like that. Right. So I really like lispy languages for various reasons. Morgan and I actually both think that Lisp languages are not harder than other languages. Morgan very recently learned to program through both Python and Racket, and your well, let me not speak for you. What what was your opinion? When I learned Python, uh, my main problem with the tutorials I was using was that uh, whenever you're learning a programming language, there has to be like a lingua franca, right? A, a universal language that everyone knows that, you know, you work off of that to learn the programming language. And for Python and the Python tutorials, they have two that they used. One is math, um, because that's pretty universal. And the second one is Monty Python jokes. But you also learn Racket and they had the picture language, which was helpful for you. Exactly. So in Racket, uh, they're basic tutorial. They have a basic tutorial using a picture language. So basically you're building things out of circles and squares and stuff like that. But the the, the short version of it is you did not find Racket harder than Python. No, I found Racket easier to learn than Python. And, and you've very, very recently been learning both. So that's, yes. I think, and part of the reason why I think that's the case, so I sometimes say, I do think Python is an easier programming language to learn than many others. And I sometimes say that Python is kind of the, Racket is kind of the Python of Lisps mm-hmm. because it's easier to learn than many other programming languages. Um, it's great for newcomers. Uh, it's actually used to teach middle schoolers how to program and, and do math. 
but then you can actually see it in pictures. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, so we actually don't think that that's harder, but uh, what's really was appealing to me, originally I was planning on doing this stuff in another Lispy language called Guile. Both Racket and Guile are schemes, I guess you could say. Um, and so, uh, but, but part of the reason why I picked up Racket is that I, because you don't have to learn Emacs to learn Racket, mm-hmm. where you, you kind of need to learn Emacs in order to learn Guile currently. So, so there's there's various things that were really easy to pick up and use in Racket, and I, um, it's also a great place to experiment with programming language concepts. I'm very fast in programming and Lisps in general, but Racket has allowed me to be able to write stuff that, um, in theory, other people could pick up. Um, and actually, one of the things I would like to do, and Racket makes this very easy. It even ships with a little Lisp editor that you can just embed in any GUI program is actually have it so that when we have the game stuff, if there's an object that you're able to edit, you've got some wind-up duck or whatever that you want to change the way it quacks, you should be able to click on that, and it should open up an editor right inside the game. And you should learn to be able, even if you've never programmed before, you should be able to learn to program by messing with the game. And I think that if we look at the amount of success that Minecraft has had, in teaching people how to program um, and how many schools are using Minecraft to, to learn how to program. I think that's a good indication that, that games are a great learning environment and that people are really motivated by having fun. And I think also, like, right now, um, you know, I mentioned that this chat program was running over Tor Onion Services. Well, you could run a game over Tor Onion Services. And right now, people are like, Tor Onion Services, those are, like, used by bad people. They do all the bad things. But, like, what happens Probably if, not the people listening to our podcast. But yeah, people. I mean, there, there, there is people. But I mean, if you imagine that, I, like, it's important to normalize things. So there was a time where cryptography was like basically more or less outlawed in the United States, and outlawed as in terms of international use too. Um, and it was really risky to use those kinds of things. But what what changed the tide was e-commerce. Where it was like having a motivation to use strong cryptography that was not nefarious and the same arguments came up about HTTPS. Well, HTTPS is for people who have things to hide. Well, nobody says that anymore. Now everybody expects HTTPS, right? And it got normalized. Well, I want to do the same thing for all these other layers. And having something fun and interesting is a really useful way to be able to make things be normalized. Um, Everyone deserves these from a human rights perspective. But not everybody's sold on the the rights of journalists and human rights activists and everyday citizens to have privacy. But, you know, if you if it turns out you're already using this stuff and you weren't thinking about it, then you might actually already be like, well, wait, why, why should that be taken away? Right. So. Um, so that's kind of long winded. But that's that's some of the thinking of Sprightly. There's one last thing on here that was related to Y Racket and you kind of wandered away from Y Racket there. But I'm going to bring up this last thing, which was if we're using this programming language that doesn't have as wide of a user base, then what are your plans for interoperability? Oh, okay. So first of all, I plan to make it hopefully very easy for people to pick it up and use it, even if they've never done Racket before, um, by kind of immersive blah, blah, blah. But it is possible to get this to interoperate with other languages. Um, right now, the Agoric folks, shout out to the Agoric folks, are building a very similar system on top of JavaScript. And it's also using the same conceptual protocol, which, to be honest, the people who have worked at Agoric were the ones who invented it, called CAPTP. 
She has all sorts of wonderful things, like distributed garbage collection. Distributed garbage collection, what? Right, and like mutually suspicious programming over a network and all sorts of things like that. Well, um, there's no reason, um, well, I mean, so standards efforts can be a slog, but technically it should be possible to get uh, the, the system that goblins uses and the system that Agoric builds, if everything goes well, we can get those two systems to talk to each other. And then you can have Racket programs and JavaScript programs just talk to each other. You could have Python programs. Well, Python's not as good of a candidate, but you could have Python programs and uh, Racket programs talk to each other and Python programs and JavaScript programs talk to each other. Um, there are some things about Python that are not as nice for object capability security, but you can definitely do it. Uh, Tahoe LAFS did it. Um, so, um, it, it, so, so yeah, you could have a, a really exciting thing about this future is it kind of like ActivityPub. It shouldn't matter what host language things are written in in order to be able to get things to interoperate. But we're not at that point yet. We're nowhere near the point of standardizing that and even like really looking at building massively interoperable things. Um, I kind of don't care about that until I have... Something that works. Something that works and does all the things that I need it to do. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I'm trying to talk to the other people who are interested in these things and try to get it working. Um, so I guess, well, is there anything else or like, what are we at the end of our index card, but I would like to just make a comment about this experiment of recording while we're in the car. All right. Anyone who has seen Chris present before probably knows that Chris is very emotive with their hands when speaking publicly, <laughs> which makes the experience of recording a podcast in the tight confines of a car while Chris is also holding the microphone a very risky experience. Oh, I am sorry. <laughs> uh, are you afraid I'm going to hit you in the face with the microphone? Oh, no, I don't think you're going to hit me. You almost never hit me when you're talking with your hands. But there's a flinching aspect. Oh, okay. Like, like <laughs> of the microphone you're, coming at you're, me. You're afraid I'm going to hit you. And also, probably the audio might sound like this. Like we're talking and it's going back and forth because I'm like talking excitedly and I, I'm a talk with my hands. So yeah, that's that's entirely possible. And to be fair, Chris, when you talk with your hands, that's like one of my favorite things about your presentation style is because you get so excited about things that like you can't contain it within your body and therefore you need so to excited. you need to move around and then other people just it's like infectious the level of enthusiasm you have, which is great unless you're sitting right next to you where you've got <laughs> a microphone that may whack you in the face yeah yes uh okay well it's been an experiment i mean maybe is it so scary that you're you're afraid to do this again in the future or nah okay i'm, I'm, I'm pretty used to you coming towards my face okay, while yeah. talking with your hands it's just i'm not usually driving yeah i don't want this to be a come at me bro thing like it <laughs> or like a don't come at me bro like watch out uh all right well I, this has been yes this has been a very excited car ride with Chris and Morgan Yes, on the way to the bank. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this. If you want us to ever do this again, as in terms of it's worthwhile to have content, even if it's being recorded from a car, let us know. Also, is or it... Or if you have dif had difficulty with this episode because of the audio quality or the really loosely defined structure or something like that, feedback on that is also welcome. Yes, uh, definitely welcome. Um, by the way, uh, we at the end of our outro, we mentioned how to get in contact with us about Foss and Crafts. 
Uh, we mentioned that there was an IRC channel, uh, hash fossilcrafts on irc.freenode.net, um, which I don't know if some people know, but you can join uh, hash fossilcrafts uh, by clicking the contact us page on on fossilcrafts, and there's a link where if you don't know what IRC is, you can just click that link and it'll bring you right to the chat room through through your browser. Yeah, and once you're in there, you can also join hash or pound, whatever you want to say it. Uh, hash sprightly uh, and talk to us there. And I'm Dusty Webb, uh, Morgan's M Web on Fossil Crafts. You're not currently in the Sprightly channel, but I guess there's no I'm reason not. you couldn't be. Um, <laughs> Maybe other... I should look into that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, hope you enjoyed this. Hope you're having a wonderful time in the pandemic and not a terrible time. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Sorry if this was a bit rambly. Yeah, well, uh, see you next time, I guess. Oh, and the Sprightly website will come eventually. We will announce it on the podcast when it does. All right, bye, everybody. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at octodon.social on twitter as at foss and crafts or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org we also have a chat room join our community hash foss and crafts on irc.freenode.net if you'd like to support the show you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r that's it for this week until next time stay free and stay crafty We can just cut this part out, and I can. No, no. The next there is there. there is no cutting things out in the car episode. Where well, okay, maybe there are some. Okay, maybe we'll cut some things out. <laughs>